0: Hi, I'm Chris Burrell with the law firm of Burrell and McCants in Birmingham, Alabama. Our website is BurrellMcCants.com. I handle civil rights, criminal defense, and personal injury law. And you are now listening to the Rebuke Podcast with Marcus Jones.
1: I'm State Representative Attica Scott, serving Kentucky House District 41 in Louisville, Kentucky. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Scott 4 ky You can also sign on as a community co-sponsor of Brianna's Law for Kentucky to end no-knock death warrants across the Commonwealth. You are now listening to The Rebuke Podcast with Marcus Jones.
2: This is Marcus, the realest man in the ville, and you're now listening to Rebuke. First, I would like to thank uh, thank you all for support for your support, and you can continue to support my podcast by following the podcast. Also, you can support by signing up for a monthly subscription from 99 cents per month to up to $9.99 per month, or you can simply donate to my cash app, dollar sign rebukee dollars. Dollar sign R E B U K E E 06. Now, the topic at hand police reform has been demanded by black people for decades. From Malcolm X's speech, from talking how the media and police go hand in hand, the Black Panthers being formed in 1966, Netflix 13th Amendment uh, a documentary uh, that has won a wars, and now Black Lives Matters demanding. Justice for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's uh, murdering, murdering uh, it's very evident that it's time for some change. Now, the title of this show is "Give Me Police Reform or Give Me Death." Now, I, I'm I'm glad to have uh, three three diverse individuals on the show. I got a lawyer. I got a police officer. <laughs> And I got a state representative from all different states. So I truly appreciate that. Appreciate this. Um, so I'd like to thank uh, Miss Scott, Chris Burwell, and Stan Mason for coming on the show. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank so, you. Yeah,
2: so, Great so, to be here. All right. So what I'm going to start with ladies first, of course. So, um, cor- this question is for you. Is it time for this country to totally uh, reform policing in America and why, Miss Scott?
1: I'll say that we're beyond reform. We're at the, the point of real accountability and that accountability um, can come in lots of uh, different um, forms. For example, I'm the primary sponsor of Brianna's Law in Kentucky to end no not warrant across cross the Commonwealth. Um, I choose to be a Democrat, but 67% of Republican surveyed um, agreed that no-knock search warrants need to be ended because they're dangerous for law enforcement as well as the people um, who are in their homes. Uh, we need real accountability in making sure that we demilitarize police so that they're not uh, able to shoot you in the face with a pepper ball uh, gun or uh, attack you using tear gas, which is a weapon of chemical warfare. Um, so we're, we're at the point of real accountability. We're beyond reform.
2: Mm, okay uh thank you thank you now my lawyer chris
0: (laughs) which i believe
2: i believe you specialize in civil rights law correct if i'm wrong
0: yeah i handle criminal defense and civil rights law
2: okay so question i'm going to you is it is it beyond time for policing
0: uh uh, policing needing reform absolutely i mean it's time for criminal justice reform altogether um, and obviously, policing is a is, is an aspect of criminal justice. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, uh, I agree with Representative Scott. We're we're well beyond the time uh, for it to change. And it's sad that it took tragic deaths like Breonna Taylor and like George Floyd and so many others for us to get to this point.
2: Mm. And more, last but not least, I'm gonna get, go with the police officer, Mr. Stan. What's your view, man? And I know it's a tough,
3: tough, no, I, tough position no, for you, do, bro. Hey. No, the word reform I think is 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 too soft, you know. And I did the job 25 years and I haven't been retired but yet too. I spent all 25 of my years by choice on night shift. I lived in the hood that I policed all 25. So I was relatively safe, but I think that we we really need to get away from reform and say restructure. Mm. Rebuild because the history of policing number 1 We really haven't transformed from what the original history was, which was catching runaway slaves. Let's just go on and get real about that part of it. It wasn't bagpipes and and, uh, playing Amazing Grace in Scottish kilts, okay? And the first people who really were the first police officers were actually your deputies, okay? And now just go, just Google slave catcher badge and Google sheriff's badge. Now, local municipal police, our badges look like shields, And you hear us call it a shield. It's oval-shaped. But if you look at probably 90% of the sheriff's departments across this country and some state police units, they still have the image of that star, which was the original law enforcement badge that the constables, before they were sheriffs, who were responsible for large demographic areas, would deputize other citizens. Now, they weren't deputizing slaves to go catch slaves. So that is the foundation that we first have to be willing to research ourselves, learn and understand that so that we can come to the table with knowledge to force the issue because policing is not going to change on its own. It is the only profession in this country. Even your iPhone would tell you when it's time for an update. Policing has not updated itself. We have new equipment, cars, computers, but the concept practices and principles of policing look up Sir Robert Peel. He wrote the nine tenets of policing which is basically the, equal to the ten commandments it's not even taught in academies anymore that's the father of modern day policing Sir Robert Peel
2: mm. man you drop we dropping gems early this is the first question baby
3: <laughs> my, my bad I'm sorry yeah
2: yeah it's all good it's all good uh, they are gonna love it Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna start with you, Stan, on this this next question. In the article that says the three traps of reform written by Naomi Moraka, she states that everything people every time people ask for police reform, it tends to backfire in our people's faces and, and the and the, the police department benefits from it. How do we in 2020 ensure that we when we ask for police reform, it don't blow up in our face?
3: Okay, first is first. If you're not voting, you're just a loud voice with nothing behind it. If you're not attending city council meetings where these ordinances, oftentimes that will immediately impact you before we get to your your state laws. Let's look just with ordinances that give police probable cause. Number one, chances are they're going to use the ordinance, whether it's jaywalking, riding a bike with no light, to move forward. So first off, we got to vote and avail ourselves of the system. Second, know who your police chief is. You'd be amazed at how many people out there are protesting. I say, who's the chief of police in your city? I don't know. So we have to equip ourselves. You know, just because you're invited to the table for the discussion doesn't mean you're not the main the main course. They want to just be able to say we had them there. We educate ourselves on the system and do not allow them to feed you promises. of oh, We're going to do community policing. I was a community police officer. I'm telling you, 90% of these departments don't initialize community policing. Policing is a moneymaker. That's what people need to understand. It is a moneymaker. When people are arrested, what do they do? We'll give you a bond to get out. Well, guess what? When they go to report every month to the county where they're usually reporting to, they got to pay a bond fee. They couldn't even pay the fine. That's why they went to jail. Okay? So the city or or the the county will say, well, we're going to put you on probation for two years instead of six months in jail. Well, for two years, you're paying $120 a month to the county. Okay, then they go and they build for profit prisons. Dude, this is a rabbit hole. We could go down. There's so many things that we have to first understand. And this is not that you all don't know. It's because police officers, black or white or Hispanic, gay, straight, doesn't matter. They're not speaking up because they're scared, number one. When I spoke up, I got drugged through the coals, brother. And that's why my lawsuit is out there. But the thing is, there is no whistleblower protection in this country for county or city or municipal, or school district, whatever. Police officers, there's no whistleblower protection. Number one thing you should ask for in reform, number one, ask the people to say, we want whistleblower protection for all municipal and city police officers. Now, what you're going to make the officers do is go, wow, they're looking after me. Hang on, these are bad people. But what you're doing is giving them protection to be able to talk. The second thing you bring to the table that nobody wants to talk about and trust me, you all don't know this, is let's talk about mental health for police officers. I got 25 years of nightmares in my head that most of y'all probably couldn't see. One day of seeing what we see would drive you crazy. So when the officers don't have mental health treatment, they're snapping out there. I'm not making excuses for everything. Divorces are extremely high in department Infidelity is high. You got officers sitting in the room, this guy's screwing, this guy's white. The chief says, well, it's not a violation of department policy, and everybody in the room got a pistol. How about that? Wow. Every time they say, I was in fear of my life. If you look from a statistical perspective, last year, over 100 police officers nationwide took their own lives. 75 or 76 died in the line of duty. That's including car accidents. So from a statistical standpoint, the greatest threat to your life is not that man or woman or black or white person. It is your own mindset and the environment that the chief is irresponsibly placed upon the department or it's the mindset of that partner that you're riding with that you know has a side boo and a couple of side chicks, bays or whatever, you you kicking it with him, but he's unstable and he got a gun. That's statistically proven. Police don't talk about it. Cities don't talk about it because we don't want the bond on officers to go up. Some of your legislators don't know and the few that do know don't say anything because policing, there are things we do not talk to our friends about, our wives, our families. We only talk to other officers. And what I'm telling you, you may never have heard it before. Google the facts I'm telling you, and you will see that it's real.
2: Mm. Appreciate that, brother. I'm going. Anybody want to add to that? or Because I'm, I'm going to go straight to the next question.
1: I, I definitely want to answer that. I, okay. I, I appreciate everything that was just said, because for the past couple of years, there um, are a few of us uh, state representatives in Kentucky who've been trying to, to make sure that we have legislation focused on officer mental health. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting that we even have legislators who don't get it, who don't understand, who don't necessarily feel like that's a priority. But some of us have been pushing for that here in Kentucky. Um, and, and I will say that the whole notion of um, uh, reform not working, and being really careful about what we wish for when we say reform is so true. I mean, we have members of our Louisville Metro Council who think reform looks like um, paying more, paying officers more money uh, to kill us with impunity, or uh, we have a mayor who thinks that reform is uh, paying officers to live in our neighborhoods. Listen, if you want to live here, you live here. But I don't believe you need to be paid to live here because you don't love me. You don't love my neighbors anymore just because you're getting paid to live here. People who want to live here will live here because they care about their neighborhood. They care about their communities. So you're right. We've got to be real careful of what we wish for when we say reform. Gotcha. I'm going to
2: go to the next question and I'm going to start with Chris. Hey, screams of defund the police grew louder in the year 2020 when Breonna Taylor and George Floyd lives were taken by the police. How does defunding the, the police help out the black community, and where can this money be used or
0: reallocated, Chris? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question, and I think that we need to start with first of all clarifying what defund the police mean, because th- what that does is when you just hear that phrase by itself, it mm-hmm. gives people on the other side of the aisle the ammunition to say, okay, well, what's the alternative or you know, we're going to descend into chaos or anarchy, anarchy mm-hmm. and all of those types of things, which are simply not true. Um, we need to first start with um, defining what defund the police means. and All that simply means is actually reallocating funds to other Mm -hmm. uh, worthwhile endeavors that will help to decrease uh, crime, criminal activity and things that cause us to come into contact with the police in the first place. So to answer your question more specifically, that can go in a bunch of different, um, um, bunch of different directions. I mean, first and foremost, it needs to, there needs to be more money allocated towards education uh, you know, it's been clearly documented for years that we often spend more time um, or we spend more money and more resources on building prisons than we do on educating individuals um, from an early age. You know, and, and they're actually basing prison populations and, and um, the, the, the capacity that's going to be needed. They're basing that on first and second grade test scores. You know, there's been studies that, that, that have been done that documented this type of stuff. So first and foremost, money, money needs to be reallocated. Towards education. Uh, secondly, I've heard um, um, Representative Scott and, um, and and Brother Mason touch on this already, but mental health—that's another huge aspect. And I'm not just talking about the, the mental health of police officers, but mental health of the um, of the community in general. You know, we we need to really address that uh, within our community. We simply have not done so. Um, and 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 thirdly, job creation and and job skill training—that's another one because all three of these are factors that contribute to crime criminal activity and interactions with the police officers so by taking some of that money from police officers um i mean and, and you know <laughs> i'm not gonna say they have a, a endless well of, of resources but they have they, they are very well funded yeah. but the fact of the matter is um it's almost like an arms race, you know, um, you know, we build one thing, they got to build something else, you know, uh, well, you know, in the arms races of the eighties and you know, as it relates to the countries. Um, but, you know, th- they've essentially created an arms race with the community uh, between the community and the police. Um, you know, as crime increases, they're uh, devoting more resources towards the police and, and and things for them. But in actuality, that money needs to be reallocated towards Education towards mental health, t- towards job creation, and when that's done, the police won't need as much uh, money, as many resources.
2: Mm, I appreciate that. Anybody else want to add to that before before we go? I go to the next question because I want to make sure I want to make sure I get you stand because the next question is you stand and Miss Scott.
3: <laughs> but if, if I can add real quick, because I agree with with, with both of the, uh, these esteemed guests that but I, I'll let's let's kill some secrets out here. See, the country has no experience in defunding anything. Our government doesn't know how to defund. We don't defund anything. Okay, but we do know how to audit. Don't believe me, ask the IRS. So we have experience in auditing. So how about instead of defunding the budget, we audit the budget so the finances can be held. Most cities, when you defund, that money would go back into a a rainy, what cities call a rainy day fund. It can be used for anything at that point. But when when you audit, you can keep that money within the police budget, but so it is available. Okay? And then you have money, if you don't have a power co- a program, then that money is there where you can set that up. Also, I would tell people when you, if you believe in defunding, first off, go fill out an open records, get a copy of the police budget and read it for yourself. It will amaze you at how much money we spend shooting bullets down range at the range, at the firing range, buying Five, six, seven thousand dollars sniper rifles. Damn, you hadn't sniped anybody in, in ten years, but every every four years you buy ten new rifles. Okay, that's forty, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Okay, I understand when you quality equipment, but when that budget is not managed, and no one in the city, civilians or citizens, is not having any type of oversight or taking the initiative to look at that budget and see where your money is going. Here's another one nobody wants to talk about. You want to talk about funds? How about um, asset forfeiture? Do you all know how much money we make when we seize cars and we seize drug money? And we see that money is by uh, federal law it is disseminated. X amount goes to the police department. X amount goes to maybe the sheriff's department or district attorney's office or whatever. But that is an amazing amount of money that we're supposed to use for bullets and guns, basically training. Well, that money can be tapped into. And restructured to go to your power programs, your community policing, your community outreach. So that's a big resource. And a lot, why do you think so many tickets are written? Where's that money go? The one thing I will add,
1: though, is that we, Uh, defund initiatives all the time we defund public education that's why we're struggling with public education we defund public transportation that's why folks who live in the predominantly black neighborhood of west louisville where i live can't get to jobs we defund public health that's one of the reasons why we find ourselves disproportionately impacted as black people by COVID 19 Mm -hmm. so we actually do defund the very basic needs and human needs that we all need every single day oh
2: yeah exactly Ooh, all right, Chris. You don't want to. You want to add something to that, or, or you want, or are you, are you ready for the next question?
0: Well, actually, yeah. You know what, um, Brother Mason did actually bring up a very interesting point when he talked about um, the uh, asset forfeiture and how much money is made off of that. I think that would be a really good place for us to start with reallocating our uh, money because think about it, asset forfeiture—that's something that happens—and and just just. For the sake of the um, the audience's knowledge, so they, they're clear on what that is. Yeah. That's basically when somebody gets arrested and for specifically if they're charged with drug cases, um, you know, they have drugs on them, but they also have $5,000 or $10,000 or they're riding in a nice car or whatever the case may be. There's a separate civil action that goes along with that in which the police um, ask the judge to declare that that's all. Um, basically ill-gotten gains and so they get the the police department gets to take over whatever those assets are or as the the term denotes they forfeit those assets so that's something that they really can't budget for however they do get to use that money uh, those assets and all of those other things so you know the first place that we could really start with reallocating money is okay well if you are going to take these things from drug dealers or whatever the case may be then why do you then get to add that to the 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 taxpayer money that's already been allocated for what you have right. going on so that would be a great place to start with reallocating things and you know unfortunately like I said before since they can't budget for it anyway it's not money they, they will be missing mm-hmm. so that, that's that's really some place we need to start
2: I totally agree so no wonder they be so happy posing in front of drug money now I learn something new every day <laughs> so uh, my next question um This is for uh Stan and uh Miss Scott. Hopefully, y'all can work on this when we since we're talking about reform. Uh, let me pull these these stats up here. Um, job for the police. The the, I looked up the minimum requirements for a police officer, and this is in Mobile, Alabama. Now, this is the minimum requirements just to be a police officer in Mobile, Alabama 20 years of age. High school diploma. Basic abilities test required if possess if possessing lesser than a associate's degree. So once again, this 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 uh pass a physical agilities test and honorable discharge you you in the military. So let me go back here. Man, Is it's harder to become a teacher, Stan. To become a police officer, I there's some there's there's probably some hard harder uh requirements to be a stripper in Miami than to be a police officer in Mobile, Alabama. So please, so please elaborate. this needs to be reformed to me. That it, these requirements need to be reformed because it seems like anybody can be a police officer and it doesn't and it doesn't say anything about background check or anything like that. It's just you gotta be 20 and have a high school diploma. So speak on that, Stan.
3: And I and I'll be real quick with it, but it's two things you got to ask yourself this is the 25 years of doing the job right here i think we can all agree that every majority of every police department in this country is run by a chief correct yep usually has a, at least a master's degree correct
2: then didn't know Look that at the
3: situation policing is in so so much for a degree being the answer now i'm not knocking education but i know young guys on the street They may have nothing more than their high school diploma that would have been better police officers than some of these guys with bachelors and masters. They may not be good commanders. They may not be a good sergeant. But I'll tell you why they're a good police officer. Because they go to an incident and utilize common sense and tact and street smart and skill. And in the hood, the one thing you always hear, don't disrespect me. See, so when you learn, being a police officer, I survived 25 years out there, not because I'm some purveyor of great wisdom, but I was no better than anybody out there. I could relate to those people. I didn't have to be the strongest guy there. Being a police officer is, to me, it's a ministry. Everybody's not called to do this. There are crooked ministers, there are crooked doctors, lawyers, and police are no different. And I think that when you say, okay, if you were to say, okay, we want every officer to have a master's degree. Well, if I got a master's degree, why do I want to come to your town and be a police officer on the street when I can go to the FBI and have better benefits, a better retirement plan, and make more money? Mm. So you have when you demand these educational qualifications, you're going to have to up what you're paying these people to put up with. Why are your big departments losing people? Dallas Dallas PD right now is 15 to 17 hundred officers short. When I was at Waco PD. Not only did I make more than a Dallas PD officer, our citizens brought us brand new top-of-the-line Tahoes. They were driving pieces of junk. So why would somebody want to go to Dallas and be an officer? The the work conditions were bad. So there's a lot of things to come, and I think you have to balance it. You know, I mean, we all know somebody who has a GED, but they they have communication skills. They have experiences. They don't need to be the best chief. But I would challenge anybody that says the degree is necessary because I will say that every police department in this country is run by a chief of police with a degree, and look at the mess that the profession is in right now.
2: Wow. Oh, good point. Uh, Miss Scott, you're, you're representative for Kentucky, and I just read you the qualifications. Is this something we need to change about this? Because, you know, we got, we got a lot of... Um, Let's. I'm not, I ain't gonna. I ain't knuckleheads. Uh, knuckleheads. I'm not gonna even sure on my show. Uh, but a uh, lot of the racist people and 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 sellouts on to being police officers. Is, is there something that could be be changed so that this the minimum requirement is not just a you're just fresh twenty. You're a fresh twenty years old. Go ahead, Scott.
1: Well, here at the local level, um, I know that some members of our Louisville Metro Police Department or Louisville Metro Council are also concerned about um, emotional and mental health. Uh, assessments before you become a police officer and also checking people's bodies for tattoos right to see what hate groups they're a part of so you know at the local level here in louisville folks are beginning to think about what else do we need to do to screen people before they become police officers because we like many other places are learning a whole lot about some of these officers who are members of hate groups
3: mm-hmm.
2: Gotcha. is it chris you got anything you want to add to that or
0: are you good Yeah, I'm good on that one. I mean, I don't really have anything to (laughs) add. I don't want to (laughs) just talk for the sake of talking. So,
3: yeah, we good. Marcus, I've got to get back to my job. But can you make sure both of these people have my personal number? Give it to them. And if I could just leave and say this, you all, please look at your police department training procedures. Because that's where a lot of this is starting. When you go to the range in the academy, you're out there for two weeks. All you're going to do is shoot a gun. That's all you're doing, shooting at a target. But you're trying to join the team. You want to be on the team. The pressure's on, and you get the same range instructions. Shooters approach the line. Is the line safe? Safe on the left, safe on the right. Shooters, watch your target. Everything in the black is a hit. Everything in the white is a miss. And the targets turn five five rounds you come back here's the same repetitive commands now here's the thing that silhouette target that they're shooting at the background is white the silhouette is black and you're teaching your it's audible conditioning you're telling them everything in the black is a hit everything in the white is a miss so what is that connotation i got to get these rounds in the black and then when you have your scenarios where you're role-playing and teaching them if all of your suspects have black sounding names in the role play and all of your victims have white sounding names it's subliminal messaging Mm. It goes along with all the locker stuff. So be paid close attention to the training and the commands that are given in the academies. And if they use the terms us and them, we and them, it's adversarial. And we're saying that we are one. Don't listen to them. They're on the opposite. You're not our bosses. Not the people we're accountable to. You're them. So that's that's really important to add in. I wish I could have stayed here, but I'm already going to get yelled at when I get back. But if you would give them my personal number, I'd love to sit down and just...
2: You know, is. Once again, Stan, thank you for coming on the show, man. I, I, I truly appreciate it. And I will make sure that I pass the, the, your personal information to these uh, fine individuals.
3: Yes, sir. Thank you. It was it's a pleasure. To meeting you.
0: Stan, yes. it was a pleasure, man. Be, be, be blessed. All right.
3: All right. God bless. All
0: right. All right. Now, I'm going to
2: go to the next question. Is according to Huff uh, Post in 2020, police unions in the biggest police force, Los Angeles, California, uh, spent millions of dollars to fight police reform and policies brought by Black Lives Matter. Now, why would the police be against police reform, Miss Scott? And are they supposed to be glad that they're helping the community and community and serve and protect? And the next question, why does a certain demographic support or 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 against police reform? You know, the people that wear that that fly that 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 special uh, American flag with the blue stripe. Yeah. So that uh, you, Scott, and then you, Chris.
1: Uh, first and foremost, uh, far too many police unions uh, try to use bully tactics against legislators and the very communities that they're supposed to protect and serve. Um, and that's why I have never gotten the police union endorsement, don't want it. Um, but And I will also say that far too many elected officials feel like they need to bow down to uh, police unions when they that's not what they're supposed to do. They were elected by their people uh, to take care of their people in their communities. And that's what should be first and foremost. Um, We need to actually when we talk about defunding police, I believe we need to dismantle police unions because they are not designed to take care of communities. They're designed to maintain a system of whiteness. They're designed to maintain institutional and systemic racism. They're not designed to actually take care of us. And I'll give you a primary example from my community uh, experience here in Kentucky. When I filed Brianna's law for Kentucky, the Kentucky State Fraternal Order of Police immediately attacked me on all of their social media. But when the white president of the state senate here in Kentucky held a whole press conference saying that he was going to file legislation to end no-knock warrants, they were silent, didn't say a word. So uh, why would I want these unions um, that really are led by people who are full of hate, who are in no way interested in our communities and in our ability to thrive as Black people, but instead want to keep their foot on our necks, literally and figuratively, um, why would I uh, suggest or even uh, believe that we need to support their unions? Because they're not out for the right thing. Mm, mm.
2: Now, Chris, (laughs) we live in Alabama, and Mm. you already know... it's, it's kind of hard for me to even I don't even like mention the state of Alabama, you know, where are you from? I'm, I try to, I wish I was born somewhere else, man. You know, I, I love my family, but the, the, the history of Alabama is not good. Like the rest of the States of the South is not good, but Alabama is really not good. Only, per, only state probably beats Alabama is Mississippi. Uh, but why does a certain certain demographic support or or against police reform? You know what I mean? I think it, it, police reform uh, will be beneficial to all races, but there's a certain demographic that supports or is very against police reform. And why you why you feel that way, man? Why do you feel? I mean, I, I'm not going to be fancy. Why do you feel that some white people are totally against police reform? All
0: right, all right I'm glad you I'm glad you said it. I was I, I was gonna I was prepared to give two answers to this. Um, well, well uh, uh, answer that that's i uh, set it two different parts. All right. So first and foremost, um, I, as a lawyer, obviously, we advocate for whomever, you know, hires us. So that's essentially what unions do. I mean, unions advocate for their members. And I get that. But also, as a lawyer, I realize that there are certain times where there's a stance that we take that is counterproductive to society as a whole. It's counterproductive to the members of the community. It's counterproductive even sometimes to the people that we represent. And so in situations like that, you have to step back. And so this goes to your question about um, the, the unions and how they're advocating against um, certain reforms. Yep. But the, to, to really get to the heart of your question, and you've already t- touched on this to some degree, it's racism. I mean, there are the, the, the white demographic that you mentioned. The, the fact of the matter is they've never lived in communities where they've been over policed, where they've been uh, scrutinized, where they have been harassed where they've been um, placed in fear. They've never lived in those situations. So the only thing that they know is the police are here to protect and serve. And yes, that's true to a degree, but the police do a lot more than that, specifically in our communities. So they are out of touch with uh, what goes on in our communities. And so when they hear um, things like reform or um, you know make changes or whatever the case may be, they rail against it because it's never affected them in the same way that it's affected us. And so that's a huge part of it. So, um, and, and 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 again, let's be clear: that's racism, that's prejudice, that's elitism, that's privilege, that's all of those things that exist that um, that we don't have access to. And so, with a little bit of empathy, with a little bit of um, common sense, we will be able to address some of the the things, some of the ills that are are wrong, and get it to a point where it helps society in general. Because again. They don't realize some of the things that police do until it affects them. And the fact of the matter is, when it does affect them, it's few and far in between and uh, so much uh, less frequent than it does us. So that's why, you know, they're in the the, the camp that they're in and they take positions that, that they take because it hadn't affected them the way that it's affected us.
2: A great answer. But uh, I would like to add reparations on your list with empathy. But go ahead.
0: Well, well, Marcus,
1: I just want to say something about Chris's point around what unions actually are and are supposed to be. I was coordinator of Kentucky Jobs with Justice. So what I did every single day was work with labor unions. But the police union was always the one that did not want to work with everybody else. Um, so yes, I, I totally agree with Chris that the purpose of unions is to take care of their members, their members who are part of the community, right who come back home to places like where I live. but the police union was always um the union that set itself apart and didn't want to play well with others. so they are very different in my opinion than the other unions that really are about community and about um, taking care of their members and and their members um, as whole people.
2: Gotcha now. This one's specifically for you, Miss Scott. I, I did some research on you, and I saw—I saw this this Brianna law, law you were working on. And I said, this, "This is pretty dope." I would love to, for you to expound on this. So, explain the Brianna Taylor Law you are currently working on as a representative of the state of, of Kentucky, uh, and, and, and how it's going to benefit people of color.
1: So, Brianna's law for um, Kentucky, as some folks might know. Uh, Louisville passed Brianna's Law unanimously uh, in June after uh, a few weeks of uprisings here and protests. And um, Brianna's Law for Kentucky is modeled after that, but it goes a little bit further. Um, I worked with uh, her fam- Breonna's family attorney, uh, Sam Aguiar, I worked with Tour uh, Heron of the ACLU of Kentucky, and folks who are on the front lines at Injustice Square Park, the epicenter of the movement for Brianna Taylor. The um, law, which has been filed and we'll uh, hopefully hear it in committee when our session begins in January, 2021, focuses on ending those no-knock death warrants across Kentucky focuses on mandating that officers um, who are involved in shootings and, and deadly incidences must comply with mandatory alcohol and drug testing. Um, as y'all might know, one of the officers involved in Breonna Taylor's shooting kind of left the scene for about an hour, Who know, wandered off somewhere. Nobody knows where that person went. Then he came back um, and had no real valid explanation. It also will mandate that there is, um, we have currently in the bill that there is body cam Uh, body cameras turned on when uh, search warrants are being issued. But what we are learning is, and we're going to change this up in the bill, is that there needs to be a recording. So it could be a body cam, but it could also be uh, a digital uh, recording from a cell phone, for example, or uh, other uh, video recording equipment because um, I think we all have probably heard over the years that body cameras, um, of course, aren't the end-all, be-all and are, are not necessarily... Um, the best uh, tool uh, in the toolbox. So uh, we're definitely looking at improving Brianna's Law. What I will say that is different about our bill is when you elect someone who comes from community activism and organizing as I do, I'm always looking for a way to involve community. So we're doing something with this bill that we've never done before with legislation in Kentucky. We have what are called community co-sponsors of Brianna's Law. These are people who believe that yes, Brianna's Breonna, law uh, deserves to be passed in Kentucky. The people of Kentucky deserve this bill. Black folks um, deserve to be protected by Brianna's law. We have over 4,400 people who signed on as community co sponsors of Brianna's law. That's powerful.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's awesome, Representative Scott. That's that's great work that y'all are doing.
2: Thank I'm you, Chris.
0: I so proud it. of it. Yeah, awesome.
2: All right. Now, this is my last question. I'm going to start with Chris and then, because uh, Scott just ended hers. President Biden and Kamala Harris called you into their office. They wanted you to come up with ways to reform policing in America. Y'all kind of said it, but I want to make sure y'all don't have any extra. What are the three things that you would tell them that needs to be changed in order to provide better policing in America?
0: Chris, go ahead. Well, it's funny you mention that because, I mean, I gave three earlier, and I'll reiterate those. Um, Education, well, reallocating money towards education, towards mental health, and towards job um, creation. But what I would add to that would be another one. And um, Brother Mason touched on this a little bit. We need officers who live where they police. I mean, that's the fact of the matter is. Uh, Marcus, I know you're familiar with with, um, Ty... um, Oh, crap, I just lost his... forgot his name. Uh, Tyrone Dennis. Tyrone Ty-
2: Dennis, yep.
0: Yeah, from- uh, UNA alumni. Mm-hmm. He's created a program that has become phenomenal. It's gained world, um, national attention uh, called uh, Clippers and Cops. And what it they, what it is, he's a police officer. He's from the hood. But what they did was he started in Atlanta where he was a police officer. And now he's moved back to his hometown of St. Louis. Uh, big shout out to Ty, Ty Dennis. But uh, they started this program called Clippers and Cops where they have cops come to the community to the barbershop, which, you know, we, we all know the, the importance of the barbershop in the Black community, and they sit down and they talk to the guys in the community about, you know, things from their perspective and they get their, the the, um, the community's perspective on things. That is critical. Um, you know, and, and again, it, and now I'm, I'm not sure that in the situation, in that situation, that all of those officers live within that community, but they definitely know how to relate to that community, and that shows when they interact with these young men. Uh, you don't have these trigger happy um police officers who are you know emptying clips on people just for a minor traffic stop you know so that would be probably the one thing that i would add to the other three that i've already mentioned we have to have a way to bridge the community uh and the police officers who um who patrol those communities and who police those communities because that's where so many things get lost in the in, in the um in the communication and there's so many, uh, so many lives get lost because of the lack of being able to relate to one another. So that's probably the one thing that I would add to uh, the list that I uh, expounded on before.
2: All right, and last but not least, uh, Miss Scott, the president and the vice president come to you. And besides Brianna's law, what other three ways you will tell them uh, what needs to
1: be changed in order to provide better policing in America? Um. Uh, Definitely, uh, Marcus. And you're going to hear some similarities to what Chris said. I'm very clear that we need to defund police, that we need to reallocate those funds to meet the economic and social needs of communities. We need to dismantle the system of policing because it's never worked for us as black people. And then we need to reimagine what community policing looks like or what really what community safety looks like.
2: Okay. All right. All right. I'd like to add one thing. Um, I saw this on on facebook years ago and they were comparing police office uh prisons in norway versus prisons in the united states and the prisons in norway look like apartments <laughs> and and you know the our, our our prisons is basically what it is prisons norway believes in rehabilitation we believe in capitalization these private prisons and stuff like that. I believe that we should, uh, instead of trying to send people to prison so quickly, let's rebuild, rehabilitate them. Let's find out the root cause why they're doing these things. Oh, you didn't have a father in your home or your mom worked two or three jobs. She couldn't do these and do that, whatever. Maybe we can give you some programs to, uh, to rehabilitate you so you won't have to go to prison and you can just go find a job. So that's one thing I, I would like to see police form do. I would also like to you know, I'm big on therapy. I really think that the money should be reallocated to bring therapists on, on the police force. Um, I did a podcast about um, now I've forgot my darn uh, Crystal Raglan. She was a, an army veteran that was killed by the police in Huntsville, Alabama. She was a bipolar you know and, 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 and schizophrenia um if they had a, a a therapist online to go to our house instead of police officers they were trigger happy Chris she'd probably be still here today so I believe that we need therapists on on the staff and they need to be sent out first and let the police officers uh uh come in uh, come in last third for me i i i brought it up to uh, mr mason when he was on the show when he was on the show earlier i think the requirements to be a police officer is too easy i think uh, and i'm overweight right now and i and and got bad knees and i probably can still make the police force you get what i'm saying so but like like uh miss scott says we got to check do better thorough background checks Oh, was your dad in the Klan? Was your granddaddy in the Klan? Was your great granddaddy in the Klan? Or any other racial uh, racist uh, organization? Um, how you feel about this? Um, uh, what are, you know, name these three artists. If you don't know, uh, if you don't know who Gucci Man and uh, and Young Jeezy and, and, and Jay-Z is, I don't think I need you in the north side of Memphis police in north side of memphis or on the east side of detroit or other urban areas i don't need you policing because you're not in tune of what these people are are in tune with and you got all these negative stereotypes and you're going to be trigger happy if something don't go your way so that's what i have to add to the add add to my list and and once again i I agree with this scott totally to blow up the, the, the 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 police department and start from scratch it needs to it needs to be more community wide, and it needs to be a collaborative collaborative effort with the community and the police. So, I'd like to thank uh, Miss Scott, and like to thank Chris, and I'd like to thank Mister Mason that he had to leave early to come for coming on the show and talking about this uh, important topic called police reform. And once again, I thank everyone for supporting my podcast and 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 throughout this year so you know like i said it's still a year old so hopefully more more years to come and once again before i leave i always leave with my statement my, my famous statement i say knowledge is power economic freedom and salvation but if you put the two together we can build a great nation this is marcus from rebuke and we're out peace